Let's pray. Oh God, oh God, such a privilege and honor to serve you, the living God. We pray now that you would hide this preacher, that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted. That some kind of way, as we engage your word, we would come away with hearing about you. Thank you. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the love. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen. I had a picture that I had intended to bring that would have been very appropriate, but I like this one. And it simply said, Welcome sinners. If you have been here at any time that I have had the privilege of speaking, you know that I am very serious about what I do. If you have been here at any time and heard me preach, you know that both Pastor Scott and myself have one message. It's the same message. It's all about Jesus. We understand that the scriptures teach very clearly that any other message that's not about him, we're in trouble. It's always about Jesus. Why is it always about Jesus, Pastor Ali? Because we, the people of God, have a different cadence that we're walking with. We believe that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And that some kind of way, that revelation that started back in Genesis... That revelation that started in Genesis continues with this grand story. We call it the grand narrative, the big story. Everybody's got a story. There's all kinds of stories out there. But we believe that there is one story that counts, and that story is a story based on the word of God, the revelation that Jesus Christ is King of kings, Lord of lords. There is no other king. As I was coming in today, one of the things that I heard at least more than once as people were expressing their affirmations and appreciation for me in very lovingly ways, one word I heard was bittersweet. Bittersweet. And so when I thought about that as I was preparing this morning, preparing to come up here, I was thinking that bittersweet could appropriately describe the gospel message. That the good news is first bad news. That when we hear about the good news, 
if we hear first that it's bad news. What do you mean by that, Pastor Ali? What I'm saying is that when you understand the plight and condition of humankind in this world, you understand that it's not good. It is not good. And it hasn't been good since Adam and Eve, our parents, first departed from the garden. Now, however you want to deal with that story and try to figure it out, I'm going to leave that up to you. But the reality is that that's part of the grand story. And we have bought into the grand story because it is the story of salvation. God is on a mission. And God's mission is to redeem humankind. That's his purpose. Mankind failed in the garden. When, when Adam and Eve fa- uh, failed in uh, uh, obeying God's command, God had told them that they should not touch. They had everything at their disposal except the one thing. They should not touch the fruit, the tree that was the fruit of, uh, of knowledge. That, that, that one thing, and, and some people say it was an apple. It doesn't say anything about it was an apple. Essentially, what they wanted to do and what they made up their minds to do early on is that, you know, uh, and Satan helped them with this. It's not it, it may not be that bad. Maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe he doesn't want us to know something and he's holding out. And that one decision, that disobedience pushed us into a place where we are now. And what God has been doing from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of the book, Revelation, God is looking to restore, restore humankind again. We are part of that story. There's another story out there, the humanist story, and we could go into that. I'm not going to do it now. But the humanist or secular story says that, oh, no, it's not about God. It's about just if we get everybody educated and put everybody on the same page, everybody will be okay, and then everybody will do what's right. Wrong. Again. It doesn't work that way. The only way that we can get it right is we adhere to what God has given us in his word that we live according to the word of God. In this broken world, the gospel now is looked at as good advice. It's not looked at as the gospel message of good news. It's good advice. We've redefined sin. And one of the things I want to do this morning as we get into this text is I I want, with your permission, I want to lift us up out of the story that we're going to read. The story, some of you or maybe most of you may be familiar with the story. The story is a simple story about Matthew or Levi, as he's referred, Matthew's call. And it's a very straightforward uh, story. It's only a few verses, but but I want to lift that story out of the context of Matthew's call and push it into the broader story of the grand story of what God is doing. I want to use this as a little bit of a backdrop. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5, because I think this text speaks to the condition that we find ourselves in. Paul says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, slanderous, without self-control, heartless, brutal, 
not lovers of good, lovers of, not, excuse me, not lovers of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And the rest of that verse says, having an appearance of godliness, but denying his power. What he is saying, he is telling us that there is something going on with this broken world and it continues to be broken. And you see it indicated, you see it revealed to us in people, how people are acting today. You think that's not a problem? That sin is not a problem in our world today? That sin has gone away? If you think that's not a problem, let me remind you of some recent events. A father shot dead in Hayward while pushing his three-month-old in a stroller. A 20-year-old indicted for killing four young men in Pennsylvania and then burning their bodies and then burying their bodies. A 16-year-old prostitute who now, it looks like, had relationships with police departments in the Bay Bay Area, Oakland PD and several others. A young male gets a three-month sentence at one of our most prestigious universities, three months for rape. And if that's not enough, five teenagers watch while they're videotaping a man screaming for help as he was drowning in a pond in Florida just the other day. And they were laughing and taking pictures of it. Five teenagers. Is there something wrong with our world? Something is broken in our world. And I'm saying to you that that, that the real issue is sin. And we've got to get to the core of that thing. And the only way you can get to the core of it is go back to the book. Go back to the answer that God has given us in his word. Sin has destroyed humankind. But God knew what was happening. And so God has already provided the remedy. And that remedy is in his son. The main point I'm going to be making today, and you'll hear me repeat it over and over. Broken people, that is sinners. And what is sin, Pastor Ali? Because you hear that word, and you don't hear it often, but when we do hear it, it's kind of one of those words that gloss over. What is sin? You've missed the mark. It's an, it's an archery term back in ancient times, but it means you've missed the target. You've missed the mark. And so when you speak of a person in, in sin, you're speaking of a person that has missed the mark. As sinners, we've missed the mark, the target. God's target. And no self-help can get us there. Only way we can get there is to come back to the place where God has called us through his son, Jesus Christ. Broken people, sinners who encounter Jesus Christ, recognize their sin sickness. And choose to respond to God's healing grace for redemption and restoration of their lives. And I accent that part, choose, because it's it's your call. God never forces the issue. The problem with us in the 21st century as postmoderns or whatever you want to refer to us is that we, we, we have in our mind that we don't believe God. 
There's a mindset out there that says there's no such thing as an absolute truth. And you and I would say, yes, there is, because the word of God is absolute truth. But what about all these other words of God? What about all these other religions? What are you going to do with all those religions? I don't know about all those other religions, but I know one thing, that the word of God here is solid and it's true and it's real. You have all kinds of people out there that are in different Different paths. The JWs say that all you need to do is get baptized as a JW and knock on all the doors that you can knock on, and you might be one of the 144,000. The Mormons say all you have to do is belong to the Mormon church membership and then, you know, do your good works in some kind of way that's going to buy you something. Seventh day Adventists say all you have to do is go to church on Sunday. The Christian science folks say there's no such thing as sin. Humanity doesn't sin. There's no such thing as sin. But God says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where we struggle at, brothers and sisters, is we haven't bought into the fact that 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 sin is real. And we haven't bought into the fact that we are sinners. And it's not a bad thing because God welcomes sinners. And that's precisely what this story that we're going to look at is about. If you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Just to pick up on the story, he had just healed the paralytic. Told him to get up his mat, get it, get up and walk. And so he got up and walked, and the people were amazed. They said, wow, did you see that? That's incredible. They, they couldn't get, he couldn't get to Jesus at first, so the disciples had to let him down through the roof so that he could get his healing. And then he goes on to say, once again, Jesus went out beside. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. He's always teaching. But watch what he does. Because a lot of times in the book of Mark, like in the Gospels, it's narrative and genre. It's narrative. And so God is speaking through the actions of his son. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. I was looking at this and I'm saying, okay, so here's the tax collector. This guy is not popular at all. In fact, he's considered, he's kind of like a Gentile, a a person that the Jews would consider, hey, you're not even in the faith. You don't even count. The the people that the, the tax collectors work for, they work for the Roman government collecting taxes. And their charge was just to collect taxes. And so he'd sit there at his toll gate and make taxes on the tax people. But he'd kind of pad a little bit so he could put a little bit of extra in his own pocket. And people knew that. But they knew that they couldn't give him any hard time about it because they would be in trouble. So they would kind of go along with it grudgingly. And his bosses, his uh, collaborators, they didn't fully trust him. 
So here he's a tax collector or a publican, as the King James Version says. He's a tax collector, and he's in this precarious situation. He's not liked by anybody. And Jesus walked by and tells him, follow me. Then the text goes on to say, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Whoa. You've got a tax collector at your house. You've got a sinner at your house. Are you kidding me? Many tax collectors, sinners, were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, these are the church folks. That's just my observation. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does this man, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, hearing them, said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What is he saying? Exactly what he said. If you're well, if you have it together already, you don't need Jesus. Or so you think. What God is doing is God is creating something interesting. And that is the, 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 the first thing that we have to do to do this God thing is we have to admit that we are in need. If you cannot admit that you are in need, then you've already failed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is Matthew saying? He's saying, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, their spiritual destitution. Their spiritual poverty, because when you recognize your own spiritual poverty and destitution, you come to God with no agenda. You come saying, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And that's what God wants. It's hard for us to get there in the 21st century because we've been told that, well, I'm not that bad. And we've done that comparative theology thing. Well, I'm comparing myself. I'm not one of those people that you listed that did the heinous acts earlier in your message. I'm not one of those, so that makes me okay. Wrong again. If you've had one thought that was a thought that was an immoral thought, even if it was just for a nanosecond, it's a sin. We're... As, as, as someone once said, do we sin because we're sinners or are we sinners because we sin? We sin because we're sinners. That's the story. We have all this fancy technology. Alexa. Yes. Capable of voice interaction, music playback, making to-do lists, setting alarms, and streaming podcasts, doing all this stuff, traffic, telling us real-time information, all kind of stuff. You just speak to it. Alexa, do I need to go to church today? 
But as advanced as our technology is, we have no solution to fix the real problem. God had to provide the solution, and he did that through Jesus Christ, his son. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Broken people who encounter Jesus Christ recognize their sin sickness, they recognize their brokenness, and choose to respond to God's healing grace for redemption and restoration of their lives. That's where it starts. It starts by saying, I, 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 I don't have it together. I, I, I'm really deficit in this area. And God says, okay, let me tell you about my son. I like this. John Piper made this comment. I thought it was very appropriate in his book, The Marks of a Spiritual Leader. Quote, the beginning of spiritual leadership must be an an acknowledgement that we are the sick who need a physician. Once we are humbled to the point of desperation, we will be open to reading the doctor's prescription. The problem with this whole area of recognizing where you're at in terms of sin is that once you recognize that place, once you know, then are you going to take the prescription? It's like if you were to go to the doctor, nobody would go to a doctor and walk in and say, I really don't need to see you because I'm perfect. My body is perfect. I'm in perfect health. And then turn around and walk back out again. You go in, and the doctor does his evaluation, and he makes some recommendations, or she makes recommendations. And then you come away with choosing now whether or not you want to accept those recommendations from the doctor. That's precisely what Jesus has done for us. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is simply saying, I'm agreeing with God about my sins. The takeaway, one of the big takeaways on this text is the fact that Jesus, our Savior, says to the world, I'm a friend of sinners, and I accept everybody. And if Jesus takes that attitude to accept everybody as a friend of sinners, then why wouldn't we be the same? Uh Uh-oh, Pastor, you were okay until you said that. Are we willing to accept people that are different, that are not there spiritually, that are not there morally, I'm not saying that we have to condone their behavior, but are we willing to take the time to see if God might want to rub off a little bit through us on that person by the way we love them in spite of them? Or do we set a condition in our minds that a person has to be at this stature first spiritually before we'll even involve ourselves with them? 
Suppose God is simply saying that just like I accepted you as a sinner, I want you now to go and do likewise, to touch others. Would we, we, would we be willing to do that? The temptation is for us to think that our good works will get us through and we don't have to do anything else other than just our good works. That sin isn't real. That's archaic. Nobody sins any, anymore. We just have a lapse in memory or we just make mistakes. Sin is real. Paul gives us the answer in terms of recognizing sin and being responsible, and he calls it godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. It starts with us looking at our own hearts and saying that, okay, I want to give it to you, God. I recognize that I'm not there. I'm not perfect. And once you say that you're not perfect, then you can go to the doctor. And the doctor will do his examination, and then you have the remedy, saying yes to Jesus Christ. I want to say this before I finish. Broken people, sinners who encounter Jesus Christ, recognize their sin sickness, and choose to respond to God's healing grace for redemption and restoration of their lives. That starts with recognizing one's brokenness. That's where we start. You've got to start there. I want to leave you with this. In all my time being here, the time that I've spent here as your pastor, one of your pastors. One of the things that encouraged me the most, big time, was your level of authenticity and genuine spirit in serving God. And your willingness to accept other folks outside of your own culture. See, see that's, that's, that's the real issue. Your willingness to be open to others outside your culture. It's very easy to close in, to close ranks, and not reach out because of fear or because they're not like you, they're different, they don't speak your language, they don't look like you, their hair texture is different, whatever. They're not saying that they don't have the same education. But I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Keep walking with Christ. Don't stop. And keep modeling what it means to be his disciples, his followers. When Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, and he got up and he followed. We don't know what, what he, if he thought about, well, I got to leave the money here, I got to leave... He he got up and followed. Be a church 
that models real discipleship. Because this world is in desperate need for people that do more than talk the talk. This world is in need for people that are willing to cross all boundaries. When the rest of the world is saying, well, you don't want to hang around with those folks. You say, yes, I do. Because I'm a Christian. I have the spirit of God in me. And it's okay if I'm with that person. Because maybe that person needs to hear about Jesus. This world is in trouble. I don't think it's by accident that I'm sitting at Starbucks two days ago. I'm minding my own business. I'm reading this, this magazine with an article. And this guy comes up and he goes, what are you reading? I said, I'm reading something by uh, this, uh, this author that's a Christian author. And he goes, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't do the religious thing. I said, well, I'm not religious either. He said, well, I don't, I don't get into any of that stuff. You know, I just, I just live my life for the moment. I says, really? I says, and, and I've gotten to the point as I've gotten older, I like to cut to the chase because you just don't know. You know what I mean? You don't know when life is over. So, you gotta, so I looked at him and I said, listen, I said, I, I don't know you, you don't know me, but here's the deal. You've you got to make a decision what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. You've heard that name. You've heard about God. You've got, you got to do something with Jesus Christ. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I just, I, 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 well, you know what? Uh, I actually got an appointment I have to go to right now. I said, oh, okay. I thought you were going to stay a while. No, 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 I got I to I gotta go. So anyway, that's it. Uh, let's move into our time for uh, communion because I think this is the piece, the communion service, our celebration that really, really demonstrates what this is about. Jesus reached out to sinners. And here we have an opportunity to do likewise, reaching out to others with the same kind of grace, the same kind of love. And it's not easy in a world that's filled with hatred. It's very difficult.